Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. Welcome to Adventist Voices. I'm Alexander Carpenter, and I am honored to be joined by an expert in all things culture, my good friend, Ryan Parker. Thanks for joining us today. I, I think it's the first time I've been referred to as, as an expert in anything. Oh, well, you do. But I am, I'm delighted to be here. So, if that if that kind of praise is what this involves, I'll come on anytime. Absolutely, no. We we <laughs> believe in praise to the divine and the human. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, a little background here. Um, I've known you for a decade and a half um, because we were both at the Graduate Theological Union, uh, tromping around uh, Berkeley and the Bay Area and learning about film together. So it's uh, extra special to be talking with you. Heady days. Definitely. Wild so, times. Yes. And it is the dog days of summer. And so I thought it would be great to talk to someone who can lead us through some, let's say, distractions. We need it in these uh, difficult times. And so yeah. I wanted to get a sense from you on what you are watching and reading and what recommendations you have for folks out there who are looking to not just be distracted, but maybe take their mind uh, on a, on a journey. On a, on a vacation, a mental vacation, if you will, because uh, they're not, they better not be going anywhere. No, absolutely. Uh, Stay at home. Unless they're in a camper van going through a desert. Yes, that's the only um, acceptable vacation. <laughs> you know, it's such a, I, you know, I've been on a couple other podcasts before to talk about this stuff, summer movies, TV shows, but obviously it's never been at such a time as this. It's, it's just, it's crazy looking at, I have a app called, um, called just, I believe it's called just watch or watch now, which is a great, resource yeah called just watch that every day posts the new things that are on streaming and you know throughout quarantine i've gone to like the itunes store on tuesday to see new releases because there are no new releases on fridays anymore and it's the in terms of film yeah it's just kind of a very slow summer so in terms of recommendations on film they're kind of few and far between i've been trying to catch up on some things but um, I am going to recommend something that I haven't seen yet that I will encourage everybody to watch because I'm such a huge fan of her work. And that's Kelly Reichardt's first cow, yes. uh, which is a small, a, a small film, indie film about, uh, two men, uh, and kind of the Western frontier who are on the run and then stumble into this business opportunity with a cow. So I think Kelly Reichardt's probably one of the best American filmmakers working now, maybe of all time. Uh, very, I think, just in the mainstream kind of unknown. Yeah. But for like film lovers, I think her film, Wendy and Lucy, that came out back in the early 2000s is a definitive film of that decade, maybe of the century so far. Yes. And 
if people haven't seen that, they should check that out too. So uh, that, as far as film goes, that's what I'm super excited about. I think that's what I plan to watch. You know, that's kind of, a lot of people are saying it's the best movie of the year. So that's one I'm looking forward to. I will second that. Uh, I haven't seen it, of course, but I've seen uh, many of her films, Old Joy, in addition to Wendy and Lucy, Meek's Cutoff, and she is a great, um, she's a great guide into a very small part of uh, everyday life that takes mm -hmm. you from the exterior into um, interior lives and relationships and, and she loves hey, was, landscapes. Yeah. Was it you? I, I know you and I've talked a bit, uh, offline about some of this stuff, but I find her career fascinating because a lot of indie filmmakers will parlay success similar, you know, to what she's enjoyed into a big budget blockbuster film, superhero film. You think of Patty Jenkins, uh, or something like that. And she's just not done that. Yeah. She stayed in her lane of small indie films. I don't know if she is professor as well. I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but she hasn't made that jump. And for her, it feels intentional. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure the offers have come, but I just love how she stayed, as you said, in these small spaces that are really, that also become quite universal and large scale in terms of emotion, spirituality, whatever we would call it. But I, I, I found that interesting that she has just stayed so uh, firmly in that lane. A true independent filmmaker, I think. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking of independent films and thinking about another good summer film that's in the completely opposite direction that I have seen that I think you may have wanted to talk about. Is this uh, Palm Springs? Uh, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. It's a movie of the moment. Absolutely. And, and, uh, a, a, a film that feels independent. Um, it feels conceptual, uh, but is also, uh, fun. It's perfect for summer viewing on Netflix. It was out at Sundance, got a lot of attention then. And Hulu. Oh, Hulu. That's right. Yeah. Hulu came in and bought it at Sundance this year. That's yeah. right. Um, you know, it, it hits on a lot of levels, doesn't it? Like uh, yeah. It's, funny it looks good it's it's smart you think you've seen it before but you haven't you know in terms of it's groundhog day with a couple i heard an interview with Ad, uh, andy sandberg um, on the bill simmons podcast they they kind of went deep on the film and it was like you know we've we've seen the groundhog day motif in film but we've never contemplated it like what if you were in this moment like a thousand years out yeah you know or whatever, and that that la that little layer there just makes all the difference. I'm glad you mentioned thousand years out. That means that we can talk about the metaphysics and theology of Palm Springs. So please, I'm here. I'm here all day for this. This is about to me. It's making us think not only about our actions and what they mean, but uh, what's meaningless in our world and why we hope for something better. What, so good. What 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 yeah. grabbed you as you were watching it? I I love the metaphor of the cave, and the way that that's a portal into and out of this sort of existence, um, and that shows up in so much literature. Of course, Plato. 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely that. I, I also, the, um, this, like, what does, and being caught in quarantine really makes you reflect on your desires in life. Yeah. And what you want when you can't be constantly on the move. And I think it's driving some people insane, <laughs> which is leading to some of the things that we see in culture and the news. And I struggle with it. Like I'm also trying to reckon with this kind of possibly a spiritual, spiritual reawakening or taking stock, which is not very fun. But, you know, when you being caught, I would imagine being caught in a loop like that would lead to the same thing. And there's humor, great humor in the way it's presented, but realizing at the end of the day, what really matters and what is a value. I don't know. It just, it was interesting to see that up against, I, I can't think of a film. Can you, that like really hit at the moment when we needed it? Like, I, I mean, could we think of a, of a nine 11 movie maybe, or a world war two film, like a post, what was what were the great escapist films post World War Two like? With not Wizard of Oz, but you know yeah, something singing, like that singing, maybe. Yeah, singing, singing in, the, in rain. the rain. Yeah, so, some of yeah, those. where it's like a real tonic. But recently, like just the ma- matching the the mood of the moment, but also transcending that with humor. Um, yeah, I think it's just it's a surprise film i wonder if it gets any sort of i doubt it will comedies never get any sort of awards attention but you would think that if it released in theaters like in a normal summer that that would have just built and built and built just with word of mouth yeah you know um i'm glad you kind of talked about our times and contextualizing it because it seems to me a really interesting phenomenon that you have so many folks out in the streets and, you know, other places, um, supporting uh, social justice and anti-racism at the same time that we're supposed to be kind of stuck in our homes just baking bread. Um, And that tension between sort of the Epicurean and, and the private and the public and the social is kind of interesting to me um, because I, you know, if somebody said America is going to be in quarantine and most people are going to be working from home, I wouldn't thought uh, there would be, you know, millions of people collectively in the streets demanding social justice at the same time. But it's happening. Yeah. No, that it's it's fascinating and finding ways to for for people who feel less safe or who are, who may be compromised um, or who are caregivers for people of finding ways to join in that while from home, whether that be, you know, social media activism, supporting uh, uh, organizations with money and, and time and calling and pressuring elected officials. I mean, I, I know in this moment, like, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, I was like, I, I never considered the L.A. City Council until this summer. And I've lived in L.A. for six years. And being aware of what goes on there and how that affects my, I think we, 
we think politics, we're thinking, oh, national level, what can I possibly do? State level, what can I possibly do? But then you start looking at your city council and you're like, that's a direct line of communication, potentially, whether they listen or not. Um, But just being aware of these decisions that were being made that I was completely unaware of. Um, And I think there's more and more and more people are doing that. Yeah. Let's talk. And also, like you said, baking bread. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Let's talk for the resistance. Yeah. Let's talk sports. And, you know, as I was thinking about this topic, I um, remember, you know, you back in grad school helping host a panel discussion on sports and social justice. What was that? Maybe. Oh, man, I forgot about that. Maybe 13, 14 years ago. And I I just um, admire the fact that you, um, it was kind of a, you know, whiplash moment for me because I just thought, hey, this is really cool. This is a guy who, you know. What were we talking about? You know, I was trying to remember the, the, sort of initiating we news event. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I need to go back to the GTU archive. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure there's a I'm sure that somebody's done a a a a master's study of that moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lodged in the library somewhere. Uh-huh. Yeah. But you um have cared about this, you've written about this um and you are a a, a great person to talk to about sports and what it means in our kind of larger um society. So, what are you just uh um, what are you excited about right now? What's what kind of crosses your plate? What do you think about when you see, you know, the NBA coming back, mm-hmm. the you know, baseball's back, but we also have, you know, teams ravaged by uh, the coronavirus. Yep. Um, what are you yep. thinking about? I'm endlessly fascinated with this moment with sports. I mean, I've, I've long been a sports fan. My fandom has evolved, I, I think, in ways that may be similar to a lot of people. Um, uh, largely in response to a lot of the stuff going on with social justice, the way teams have handled that, the way leagues have handled that. Um, also just looking more in depth at the way leagues are run, um, as a reflect, as a, as a justice issue, uh, on one spectrum, I think, uh, solidly being the NBA, who I think, uh, has one of the greatest commissioners of all of professional sports. And on the other end of the spectrum, um, the NFL, who I think has um, one of the worst, <laughs> yeah. and I, I struggle to, to take him seriously even as a human being. But um, I, I'm endlessly fascinated with how the, this, the justice movement, um, which has been ongoing for, for years, yeah. you know, we think back to uh, the Olympics, demonstrations at the Olympics, obviously the, the years long. Um, struggle between the NFL and Colin Kaepernick and kneeling and all that. But now the COVID has added this other layer to everything. And I think you touched on it with baseball being totally inept. Um, wondering why any professional sports league would not operate in a bubble when it seems to be going as well as it's going with Major League Soccer and the NBA, which comes back on Thursday with two days from when we're recording this. I've been, I've been really surprised by MLS working as well as it has. And it's, it's just this weird hybrid. It's a tournament that some of the games count to the regular season, but 
the late, the later knockout rounds don't, but there's prize money and all this kind of stuff. But the testing is working. The bubble is working. The, the product on the field has been entertaining, at least in my opinion. I'm hopeful that the NBA will be the same way. I mean, they're testing what Alex, like 800 tests a day, multiple days in a row with no positive tests. Um, if you're going to have sports and it's a, it's a tonic for so many people, um, it's a business that keeps people employed, not just the athletes, then it seems to me you'd have to do it this way. And I don't know that the MLB season will last 60 games. Yeah. And quite frankly, I don't think the NFL should even play um, if they're not going to be in a bubble. Yeah. I'm intrigued also by when uh, sports as a window into our collective consciousness and our, the soul of America. And it is not pretty. So a lot of this is exposing, I think, a deep uh, discomfort, I think, like we were talking about earlier, an inability to, to um, exist without distraction you know, which we did as a, well, that's not exactly true, but, but with limited distractions, I don't know, books, stories, music, which we've had for centuries, but this, this desire to run, I mean, it's all uh, capitalism and it's all uh, economic based, but, you know, when you look at somebody like a Drew Brees who posts this, this exclamation point filled tweet, we need football. Um, I think we need to, what we need to do is re-examine what the word need means yeah. in that context, because we do not, yeah. and certainly not at the expense of um, people's lives. And this is, obviously, I'm talking about a league that I'm largely, that I was once a rabid fan and follower of, but in the past couple of years, my my engagement with consumption of that has has dropped dramatically. Um, you know, if an NBA player said it, would I feel the same way? Probably, but the NBA is, as we've already said, is going a different route than the NFL will ever go in terms of trying to make sure its players are safe while still, you know, responding to their wishes to play basketball. I mean, this is a player driven decision. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an important part, making sure that the players have, um, equal uh representation um mm-hmm. and that doesn't just mean numbers but some sort of uh, power as well um yeah let's talk books because you got me into a crazy book it's definitely not a, a summer beach read i'm talking about house of leaves i'm not sure how to pronounce the author's name mark z dan danielewski yeah you think? okay that works Something like that, and I'll read the. Um, it's a. I'll read the opening. Um, the. The first paragraph quickly um, of the uh, first chapter, just to give folks a feel for this. Uh, and uh, yes, it's recommended. While enthusiasts and detractors will continue to empty entire dictionaries attempting to describe or deride it, authenticity still remains the word most likely to stir a debate. In fact, this leading obsession to validate or invalidate the reels and tapes invariably brings up a collateral and more general concern. 
whether or not, with the advent of digital technology, image has forsaken its one unimpeachable hold on the truth. Why did you start reading this book? <laughs> you know, you just made me think about how it's also a fit. It is a fitting read for the moment we're in. And I didn't even think about it until just now. Well, I, I started reading it because it came from, uh, it was recommended by a, a friend of mine here in LA who has long been a fan of it and actually been a fan or, uh, or been a part of in, in one way or another, I think some conversations about around potentially adapting the, the novel as a film or series. Interesting. And that's a whole other conversation, but yeah, it's just a, and, and I don't even know that I ever heard about it, but it certainly seems like a book that, that kind of burst onto the scene when it was first published a few years ago. And there's a, like this online existence it had before it was published and kind of this cult following. But I, I read it purely as a recommendation, not knowing that it would make me feel um, insane as I was reading it <laughs> uh, and, and drunk, like confused. Um, yeah, it was such a weird sensation. I, I don't, it's, I never really had that before reading, but then I, you know, at, at, I finished it last week and I was thinking, um, it's an interesting book to read for people who are stuck in their houses because the book is about yeah. a family who finds a secret or not a secret, but like this kind of chamber in their house that changes shape and it's, it's bigger and it's like a chasm and, and the, their ability to, their inability to, to know what that space is. Um, yeah. And then I'll, I, what you're talking about, what you just read about image. And I just think about just our news cycles and social media and images of protests and reactions and all that kind of stuff and how that's functioning in this moment. Um, yeah. I think the book raises some interesting questions. Yeah. About mutability, um, and the parameters of our reality as well. Um, I looked it up, uh, just because I was curious about, you know, what sort of, you know, reviews people, any, any sort of interesting critical reviews of it. And, um, it is an example of ergodic literature, which doesn't have to do with God, but instead has yeah. to do with uh, being very challenging to work through and yet um, rewarding, I think. Um, uh, you finished it. Was it worth the effort? How, yeah. Uh, it, it gets a, it's a little long. Um, and some of it feels a little what's the right word for the obsessive yeah. with lists and index indexes and appendixes that I don't appendices that I don't think add a lot to, I mean, at some point you get to page 500 and you're like, okay, I get it. Yeah. You know, you're, you're a brilliant wild <laughs> mind that you, you know, you've already challenged me. It's now it's just like, you're, you know, maybe you're just showing off, but <laughs> yeah, I think it's worth it. How far along are you? Uh, I am at page one fifteen. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm um, yeah. just entering uh, yeah. the journey. Uh, final question here, Ryan. Uh, you and I grew up um, within a kind of similar religious context oh, with. Um, 
folks who were at times embracing of popular culture, but also skeptical of it. How did you um, grow to mix your theological thinking with your consumption of culture? Yeah, you know, I would have never thought about that quite um, as cooperatively, I guess you could say, when I was younger in that environment I grew up in, in the South, small town. But for that setting, I think in terms of engaging pop culture, I had parents who were very moderate to progressive. I mean, it wasn't like at eight, I could watch all these R-rated movies. But I mean, in terms of music, I was listening to like Grateful Dead, Talking Heads, Steely Dan, stuff like that when I was very young. Um, And I just didn't get the sense that a lot of people around me were doing that maybe there was more than i knew but uh you know we had one theater movie theater that had four screens and we only got like the big blockbuster stuff but i would go see everything that was there you know age appropriate and then on the weekends we were just renting stacks and stacks of movies from the the local video rental store which i remember when i was a teenager renting seven (laughs) uh wow and and my and my youth minister being like why you shouldn't be watching that. And I was like, are you kidding me? This thing's <laughs> going to be awesome. You know? Yeah. Um, but then it wasn't in college, you know, I was an English major in college. Uh, and that was really when I had kind of a transformative, well, tra- transformed is the wrong word. Really when I began to like kind of evolve is such a loaded word, but like my theology started shifting and ended up going to seminary. And it was at seminary that I took a class called faith and film in which the professor said, unlike the rest of your courses, uh, we're going to meet and watch movies and and talk about how they work on us spiritually. And and I was like, you can do that. Like that's a thing. And it was one of the best classes I had ever taken. And it really, I think had me rethink that kind of uh, upbringing and everything that I had watched all of a sudden realizing that could have a deeper value than just entertainment. Yeah. And I think that's really what just set me on the course to ended up how you and I met and doing work in film and theology, film and religion. And then ultimately now trying to do that on the creative side and just professionally to with the work that we do in marketing and publicity to faith, the justice communities and things like that. So yeah, I think it was a combination of kind of like a lot of people being rooted in pop culture as a kid, but then having that moment where somebody said, Hey, just take a deeper look. Um, and then that kind of igniting whatever career that's become. Yeah. You know, it's it, thinking back to those days, I hate to uh, become too nostalgic here, but it's so fun to have seen your career, grow, um, and, and find all these really interesting avenues, um, and to see the way that you're not just, um, consuming culture now, but really getting into the, the world of creating it. And I'm really excited to see, uh, what you do next. So thanks so much. We're for, trying. Yeah, we're trying. Yes, we are. <laughs> thanks so much for talking with uh, me and the spectrum community today. Oh, this is great what you're doing. I think uh, I wish more, and I think they, I think they are. I, but my hope is that more faith communities, both at the local and kind of denominational level, engage 
culture like you do with through podcasts, articles, and and things like that because it's it's meeting people a lot more people where they are. Uh, when you engage the world like this, I think it's um, it's super beneficial. Absolutely. Well, I wish you all the best. Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear.